3: You're listening to On Track, the brand new motorsport show from Talksport. Sport 2. I'm John Jackson and this is the place for everything involving wheels. As we talk all things Formula 1, we take you behind the scenes of the Formula E World Championship and keep you across all of the other big stories from the world of motorsport. Coming up today, the Formula 1 season's nearly here, but will it just be Max Verstappen winning every race there or thereabouts? Who's going to race for Aston Martin and a full look back at the first ever Cape Town e as Formula E went sub-Saharan for the first time. But first, as we do every week, let's start by looking at the big stories of the last seven days in motorsport. And joining me today is Kieran Jackson, the Independence Formula One correspondent. And I imagine, Kieran, you've been watching quite a few laps of Formula One testing over the last few days.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's all I've actually been doing this weekend. Uh, yeah, each day was about eight hours long. Or testing, so I think when you're watching the coverage, they're trying to make uh, anything they're talk about anything at all, really. But yeah, it was interesting. Uh, there was a lot of uh, different storylines to come from it, Um a few surprises in there. But um, yeah, generally, I think we're where everyone expected to be at this point. Yeah, well,
3: we're going to talk a bit more about the uh, Formula One season, obviously, coming up uh, next weekend or this coming weekend uh, in a little while. But first, it's the motorsports news, as I'm calling it on this new show. And I mean, the big story in Formula One really is who's going to be driving for Aston Martin this weekend. We are speaking the day after the Cape Town E-Prix that I just mentioned. Uh, So I'm still here in Cape Town. You're back in London. Uh, this might all be resolved in the next 24 hours or so. But at the moment, it looks like Aston Martin will be going with the F2 champion from last year.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the F2 champion last year is Felipe Drogovic. She's a Brazilian driver and he performed really well over over the testing period. So he filled in for half a session on Thursday and then half a session on Saturday. And he he was very competent in the car. Aston Martin have a very strong car this year. Uh, Fernando Alonso showed that. Uh, over the three-day testing period so so yeah it, it's kind of a waste and see situation I think Stroll was due to be in the team simulator uh, today or tomorrow in an effort to prove his fitness he obviously is desperate to get in the car for the first race given how strong Aston's car is but um, it's, it's definitely wait and see he injured his wrist in a cycling accident last week so uh, we'll see on it I mean Drogovic is more than capable of performing well uh, the team principal Mike Crack said that after the test so um it will be an amazing story if the F2 champion can have his first race in F1 on um, on Sunday, and um, with the car he's got, he's more than capable of getting some points too. Yeah, and we've seen in Formula E with Robin Frindt, he got an injury, you know, in that Mexico E Prix that you know
3: we were both at at the start of the season, and he's missed the last three rounds, and still no word on whether he's going to be coming back for the next round in Brazil. Uh, I think maybe he possibly could be because there's at least three weeks gap now, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Stroll got on. In that simulator, because I think you're going to find out, you know, with the sort of pressures and, and sort of G-force and everything. that I mean, suppose not G-force when you're you know grabbing a steering wheel, but you know what I mean—the pressure you and strength you need in the, in every body part when you're driving a Formula One car. We see a lot of videos about you know drivers doing their neck strength and everything like that. I mean, it's going to be fairly obvious straight away whether or not he can drive that car. And obviously, you know, Aston Martin do have Stoffel van Dorn and he's uh, not available to to have been involved. And I think it's probably good that you know they are going with youth because some people were suggesting and i don't know how serious this was but sebastian vettel might come back i personally i thought that is just a sensationalist headline i mean you know you're a writer for a newspaper so you can tell me otherwise but surely that was never on the cards because you know he had his retirement plan and i'm sure he's more than happy stepping away and doing whatever he's doing now
0: yeah i think that was very much uh, some random speculation i think um what was interesting about it was that Mike Crack team principal refused to rule out the possibility of Sebastian Vettel making a shock return, but there's I don't think there's any interest from Vettel's side. He's um, he's made his decision. He's very comfortable in his decision, as he said throughout the latter end of last year. So uh, I don't I don't see that being the case at all. No, unfortunately, it'd be a hell of a story if he did. It would indeed. Uh, You'd imagine he's probably still in good shape. You know, you don't suddenly you
3: know stop being an elite athlete and, you know, pile on the pounds and whatever. And I'm sure, you know, he would love to drive a Formula 1 car again, but I really do think he's put it behind him. Uh, Let's look at other things that are happening in the world of Formula 1 then. I mean, we will, as I say, talk a bit more about the testing and and what that tells us about the season going forward. But, you know, what's your take on how good these cars look? We did discuss last week, me and Ben Hunt, these designs of these cars, and a lot of them seem really dark in colour you know in your extensive uh, research across the weekend I mean are they looking good on track or is it a bit hard to distinguish between some of them because I feel like you know going past the the speeds they go I, I mean you know if they're all a, a dark complexion let's say it can get a bit confusing if you're a fan
0: yeah for sure there was a bit of confusion as to whether a car was an Alfa Tari or an Alfa Romeo because they've actually switched sponsors over the offseason as well so that's that doesn't help how it matters but yeah, I think quite a few teams have decided to go with some black on their livery to save weight, which which I think makes sense. They're trying to keep the weight down as much as possible. Uh, Max Verstappen, even in his like peerless Red Bull, said that he was keen to keep weight down. It was one of the problems of last season's Red Bull. So so yeah, the cars look quick. Uh, Sergio Perez on Saturday was, um, was the fastest in the last day of testing. And it was actually a time which was quicker than the pole position in Bahrain last year. So... So they're pretty rapid. Uh, They've had to raise the ride height a little bit to stop the effects of porpoising. But uh, all in all, it's not too much of a shake-up from last year when there was a big change in direction with the way the cars work. But uh, no, they they, they look pretty quick. And and yeah, quite a lot of the cars do look quite different in terms of the liveries too yeah i can imagine
3: uh, have you been watching drive to survive yet because obviously you know i've been out here uh, covering the e with formula e so i've not had a chance i'm going to be watching it on the flight back in a couple of days time and uh, making sure i've got it in a series that what do you call it these days not series linked I sound like a granddad um you know i've got it all i'm going to binge it that's the word i'm going to binge it on the way home um have you seen much of drive to survive because i've seen some of the reviews and they're, and they're sort of saying that it's been more and more sensationalized as before than before
0: yeah i've, had, I've actually seen all of it because I, I wrote a review just before it came out. So I, I also binged it and claimed it to be work, which is quite enjoyable. But um, no, it, it was, I'd agree with that general assessment. I, I thought it really peaked in the early few episodes. There's a there's a fantastic scene in Canada with Toto Wolf going right at Christian Horner and a few other team principals about the porpoising, and Horner, as you can imagine, fighting back. But then there is also a reference as to the cameras in the room. So whether that's, you know, Toto being quite sensational on that that front. But uh, I, I thought it was a pretty good season. I think they covered last summer's drama with Piastri and Alpine and McLaren pretty well. They did that over about two episodes. They glossed over some things and I think they missed a few kind of key narratives. But uh, th- there are some great moments in the new Drive to Survive and uh, particularly early on, uh, you open up with, with Ferrari and Bahrain and then it goes quite early on into Mercedes problems and then you, talk, you switch to Haas, which, ha- which has uh, Gunther Steiner. as his team boss. He's kind of the new star of the show. So uh, it, it's a pretty good watch, I'd say.
3: I feel like Gunter still doesn't realise what a star he is. He seems like the most genuine person uh, that you could ever wish to meet. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of people, I mean, the hardcore fans would have binged that already. If you haven't watched it yet, obviously, you know, we're not going to talk too much about what happened to Drive to Survive. I mean, obviously, you know what happens in the sporting side of things, but I'm, as you say, there's some good stories and some good surprises to catch up on. So, yeah, I mean, uh, get that on if you can uh, on Netflix. We've got to talk uh, as well before we move on about the, uh, the new F1 Academy that announced its schedule. So if you're new to this, it's uh, basically the all-female uh, Academy, which is uh, basically there to... Um, and in fact, I'm going to read what they say, right? So says Formula 1's intentions are to ensure ensure that aspiring female drivers have the best opportunities to reach their potential with an important first step of getting into Formula 3 and progressing through the ranks. Now, obviously, we saw last year the W Series, which I found, you know, fairly entertaining for the, the first couple of seasons. Obviously, it ended you <laughs> earlier on uh, than it was expected last season due to money concerns you know I found it I found it you know some decent racing there obviously Jamie Chadwick was you know by far the best driver and that that showed with her what three championships in the end and she's gone on to the US and uh, we'll be interested to see how she gets on there but there are a lot of critics of having all female racing series because the point is is that you know you see in British F3 and in the GB3 series and the championship you know and GB4 and the F4 and whatever I mean it's open to to anyone really so women do race against the men and maybe sort of segregating them into this championship you know i mean w series certainly got a lot of uh, you know sort of haters for that reason i mean is i mean this is this looks on paper like
0: a very positive thing but do you think it actually is yeah I, I was speaking to their press officer actually last week about it and f1 are very keen to emphasize on the f1 academy that it isn't just a token gesture series effectively um, what they're doing in their words is giving these drivers there's going to be 15 drivers the capabilities and the experience to to drive at a high level and and therefore try and give them the opportunity to prove themselves and then get a seat in f3 and then go on an upwards curve from there i mean they announced the schedule last week which which was very interesting there's going to be seven different meets and three races at each meet um they're all uh, pretty high-class venues. I think five of them are on, on uh, the F1 calendar this year. Um, and they're actually finishing F1 Academy at the United States Grand Prix in Austin in, in October. So, uh, so I mean, that would be a brilliant, brilliant moment for, for the series to finish there. And what is, I think, yeah, the most uh, visited event in the whole calendar. So, I, I think you can have your criticism about it. Um, but I think, you know, it's a good move. I think with the uncertainty around W Series there needed to be something to come in its place there's plenty of money behind it I think there's five teams we have three cars each and they're run by F2 and F3 teams so there's experience with that sort of level of motor racing too so, yeah, I, I, I'm all for it. I think I think it's a good addition.
3: Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be one of those things that we will look back on and decide whether or not it was a success. But to be honest, any championship, especially, you know, racing in these amazing places, giving young people and especially young women the chance to race uh, is a good thing. Uh, so you can't really knock it at all. Anyway, they're racing in seven different places, as you say, Austria, uh, Valencia in Spain, Barcelona, Zandvoort in the Netherlands, Monza in Italy, Le Castellet in France. And then, as you mentioned, Kieran, uh, Austin in the US, say to end the championship in october so that is going to be fantastic Uh, anyway we've got to move on here on on track on Talksport 2 we're coming up next we're going to take a look back at one of the best formula e races i've ever seen and and we were actually both there in mexico and i thought that was a a pretty decent race once the safety cars got out of the way but this race in cape town this last weekend was absolutely fantastic honestly one of the best races i've ever seen in the all-electric championship you're listening to on track talk sports brand new motorsports show i'm john jackson and we'll be at every formula one and formula e race throughout the 2023 season and formula e is where we turn our attention right now after one of the best races i have ever seen in fact i'm still here in cape town south africa after what was the first ever cape town e Prix, and honestly i think it's possibly my favorite race i've watched live in formula e i mean first of all let's just talk the place what a setting Table Mountain right behind you you've got the 2010 World Cup final stadium where the track was based around the streets there in fact our media centre where we were sat was in the stadium and you walk out and you just got this incredible view mountains to one side the sea to the other the garages right in front of you the track one of the fastest tracks if not the fastest track of the season I mean it just had the recipe for just an incredible race and we absolutely got that but first i mean let's take things slow it's been a good season for avalanche and jetty driver jake dennis a bit of a british favorite he went into this race second in the championship he won that first ever race back in mexico you might remember the first of the gen 3 season Uh, two second places too in diria and i caught up with jake ahead of the first ever cape town e Prix to see how he was feeling going into the race we're sat here in an incredibly sunny Cape Town outside the Avalanche Andretti Garage. Jake Dennis with me here, sitting second in the standings. It's been a good season so far. Yeah,
4: it's been awesome. You know, we've had obviously had three podiums at the start of the year. A bit of misfortune in, in India when we were um, you know Cmp3 and I got taken out with like five minutes to go. But nevertheless, we're we're still second in the championship. We're here in Cape Town, sunny Cape Town, and it's one of my favorite uh, favorite countries. So
3: yeah, life's pretty good. Been a long time since motorsport's been here, nearly 30 years since uh, Formula One was here, a little bit further away near Johannesburg. And it must be quite special for you to be part of a, a championship that is so progressive and is going into these places. You know, we were in India a couple of weeks ago where there's not been a, a world championship motorsport race for quite some time and now we're here in Cape Town doing something that's bringing motor well motor racing in cars at least uh to this country for the first time in 30 years it must be great to be part of the sort of traveling circus as people describe it yeah definitely you think you nailed it with the traveling
4: circus you know we 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 literally pick up all these events and then just bounce to different locations so Full credit to Formula E to make that happen. It's a lot of hard work, uh, and yeah, you know, sometimes the the challenges are thrown out. As you know, India it was a great race, uh, but obviously some of the facilities were challenging. And then here, you know, we've got the the luxury of being in pretty much the centre of Cape Town. Um, such a great location. Probably my favourite of the year. Definitely, probably, definitely my favourite location I've done uh in Formula E so far and um yeah it's just awesome to be part of Formula E you know it's always growing like you said they haven't raced here in 30 years been racing in India in 10 years uh, with the FIA so uh to come to these locations we've got Sao Paulo next uh, and then we're back on the sort of the European strip so um it's great to be part of Formula E I'm still pretty new to it all it's like it's only my third year but um you know you got some of the veterans like Sam Bird and uh, and Mitch Evans and people like that who've been in it for
3: nine years now but it's great to be here and very excited. One thing you can guarantee is that Sandbird will find the best place to run. It seems like every, everywhere we go, he's got running photos where he's looking super fit. How much input do the drivers actually have in the schedule, in the calendar? I'm assuming it's probably not much, but I'm sure you make your voice known.
4: Yeah, the thing is like generally the locations where we race at, we don't have too much impact uh, just because, you know, it's way above our pay grade and we, we don't really know too much about the locations for what we race at. We would just pick the most expensive cities, the best locations, and it wouldn't be very practical with for formulary, e, so but generally when we get here is where we have the biggest impact, you know, we have a group uh, well, oh, between us all just discussing how we can improve the track, you know, uh, there's definitely valuable uh, input what the drivers bring, you know, we're the one's driving the circuit and if something's not quite right or a corner needs to be changed because of certain situations then you know, the FIA and the organisers definitely listen to us and it's difficult to change things that day or that weekend, um, especially because, you know, the first time we drive it is probably the day of the race whereas you know it's more for the the situation when we go back the year after you know we've, we've gave our input into uh, into the india race how we can improve it and they're already you know making discussions for for
3: 2024. you're I mean, we're, we're talking now and i'm assuming you've walked around the track and that's pretty much as close as you've got to the track so far you've not been in a car around the track yet i mean when you do the track walks are there any concerns? I mean, obviously you do a lot of sim practice, but do you, do you sort of notice, I mean, I'm sure you do, little things where you go, ah, okay, I'm going to have to watch out for that because that can't be replicated on a sim. That
4: wasn't quite there. Yeah, definitely. The track walk is the first real instance of what we will see in real life. You know, we do all the simulator work, but it's not really. And so you get to see in real life is where you think now possible or not. Uh, nine times out of 10, generally the simulators are pretty good and the tracks laser, the laser scan nowadays. So they are pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, it's Formula E, and there's always certain surprises, certain potholes, drains, uh, which you which you can't take. And then if it rains, then you've got to watch out for the white lines, the zebra crossings, the bus stop signs. So something which no one really ever appreciates too much. And uh, like the likes of Formula One, because obviously the track's just in perfect condition the whole time. Whereas Formula E is very much, you know, to sort of wing it on on the day and um, and hope you
3: hope you do a better job than everyone else. You've obviously got to grips with the new Gen 3 car quite quickly. Is there any specific reason you think that is? Is it possibly that you've done a lot of developmental driving before that's, you know, that's given you that little bit of a benefit this early in the season?
4: Yeah, it's it's difficult, you know, to drive these cars. I think as you've seen, like, we generally have one guy in each team generally performing much better than the other. Um, and Pascal's doing a really strong job this year uh and then you've got the likes of jev in uh in ds you know generally out- outperforming stoffel so you've generally got one guy in each team so it's a unique car to drive uh, and it's only a matter of time until everyone gets their head around it but you know i think i just managed to adapt to it quite quickly something which i've always been quite good at throughout my career you know when i first came into Formula E, I had i was straight away p3 in the championship and people always say Formula E is so unique and different to drive and it is but I just adapt quite quickly, which is something which Formula E benefits on. Because You know, most of these circuits we go to are always new to us. So I just need to keep performing at a high level, working hard and um, just yeah, keep putting in the hours compared to everyone else. Your teammate is a German, Andre Lotterer. Is there the traditional English German rivalry? Uh, no, not really. Andre's a super chilled out guy. Uh, he was uh, born in Belgium and pretty much raised there. And now he lives in France. So he's a very uh, non-typical Germany, super relaxed and um, we just have a good laugh together. Um, back in my first year of Formula E there was very much a, a sort of English versus German rivalry when it was me and Max Gunther, you know it's was very different to Andre. We still got along but you could tell there was more rivalry between us both young guys, both trying to start a career in Formula E and, um, but yeah, nevertheless it's, it's great to have someone so experienced as Andre uh, to bring value to the team. With Michael Andretti
3: making his Formula 1 debut in South Africa many, many years ago. Is there anything that the team's doing, you know, especially different because, you know, it's a little bit of a, a nod to the milestone. Anything like that? Uh, well, the first time I, I didn't know that, so it's a, a new fact for me.
4: Uh, quite a cool one, but no, nothing from their side. I have a new Cape Town helmet this weekend, so something special. Still one-off helmet, which looks kind of cool with the big South African flag and integrated some cool designs into it, so uh, Cape Town's one of my favourite places uh, in the world, so I thought I'd do something special for a helmet this weekend. Away from the track, what's the what's
3: the line-up? I mean, you've probably got a few days afterwards that you're going to spend here. What's on the cards?
4: Yeah, a few beach clubs, catch a tan, uh, probably drink a daiquiri or two. Uh, but yeah, just going to do a safari after the race, staying here for a week and just enjoy the good weather because obviously the UK at the moment is
3: not that great. And also you know we've got brazil in a few weeks time a bit of a, a break so you've got that time to have the daiquiri and still be at yeah. peak performance but also you can't turn up to brazil without a tan can you you've got to look the
4: part oh yeah i gotta blend in so uh yeah i'm definitely gonna obviously try and catch a tan over there um yeah i generally go pretty brown uh for an english guy so normally i don't i don't go too red but the sun here is super strong so um yeah, I do
3: need to put sun cream on, otherwise I am going to turn into a lobster. Okay, well, uh, we'll hope you spend the whole race in that car. No problems there, so you stay out of the sun, if anything. Jay, best of luck this weekend, and we'll chat to you again soon on TalkSport. Appreciate it, thank you very much. Well, spoiler alert, it didn't quite go to plan for Jake. We'll talk more about the race. We'll also hear from some of the other drivers after the race next here on On Track.
1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
3: this is on track from talk sport 2 i'm john jackson and we're reflecting on the first ever cape town e in the formula e world championship it was the fifth round and i mean just some excellent racing the main move happened right at the end the penultimate lap it was jean-eric verne the winner last time out in hyderabad as we went to the first ever indian formula e, e pre he was battling with second place antonio felix da costa i mean he just absolutely full sent it around the outside did da costa i mean i wouldn't have the cojones to do that myself he did ended up winning the race and after the race i spoke to him and as you can imagine he was fairly emotional
1: it's been tough man it's been really hard on me getting to this point like i've i've worked hard before in my life but I've had to work very hard to to perform more than ever and 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 I guess that was just my my emotions and the weight off my shoulders it's not done yet like it's the the hard work will keep on going but um that was amazing and then yes it was an emotional one
3: balls to the wall seems to have been the saying this weekend and I'm going to use it now because that move at the end there I mean that was probably my favorite overtake I've seen in Formula E I mean, you just went for it, and you just did not give any
1: space there, and it was—it was just amazing racing. It was—I—I I don't think I could have carried another KPH on, the, on that on that move. Like, it, I thought I was gone at a certain moment with with the track obviously being dirty offline where I was, and I've been around enough to believe in—it's not luck or bad luck or good luck. It's just. When it's meant to be it's meant to be and the stars align for me today and I'm happy to be in this position I will enjoy it it doesn't last forever uh, just going to keep working hard and see what we can do Progress. congratulations thank you
3: yeah you can tell how much that meant to Antonio Felix to cost some excellent racing there and I mean really you know he won that race because of that crazy move definitely make sure you check that out if you've uh, maybe follow Formula Re on social media or uh, you go back and watch the race or watch the highlights on Discovery Plus or Channel 4 just ridiculous I mean absolutely fearless i wouldn't have the nerve myself uh, the current uh, defending world champion stoffel van Dorn didn't quite get where he wanted to be at uh, top 10 though for him and i asked him what he made of the first ever race here in cape town
2: yeah it was it was okay to be honest um, i mean first of all great uh, great venue great uh, circuit very high speed very challenging so we've definitely seen that this weekend with uh, you know uh, quite big penalties let's say when uh, when you get it wrong but, um, yeah, the weekend was uh, was okay. I think it could have been a lot better, actually. Um, so far, uh, the luck is not really on my side, let's say, in, in qualifying. And, you know, I, I don't have any regrets, to be honest, of this weekend, because I felt like we were competitive. We just had uh, some unfortunate events in qualifying, got blocked on lap one. Then um, I got the red flag on the, on the second one. So... I didn't get a proper lap on, on the board uh, and that, you know, obviously compromised a lot the, the starting position. But uh, yeah, it was a decent race, some, you know, points in the bag again and uh, we're not giving up. I think um, the day that all the pieces of the puzzle will fall together, it will be good. Good couple of weekends for your
3: teammates. So as a team, that's really positive and it must give you, you know, uh, positivity going into Brazil, Nick.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, we're we're improving step by step and the last two races we've, uh, you know, Jeff has been on the podium twice We've been in the points with both cars, so it's, uh, it's a good step forward from the first couple of races we had.
3: Well, Stoffel van Dorn there, absolutely loving it for DS Pensky. Not the only driver that enjoyed the Cape Town E-Prix. One driver who didn't know, who was coming off the back of have, making a, like, the worst mistake you can probably make as a driver, and that is not only crashing and taking yourself out, but taking your teammate out was Jaguar TCS's Sam Bird. Sam Bird didn't even get to the race. Uh, there was an accident in qualifying. Uh, he felt he was hard done by, and I caught up him after the race to catch up about what exactly happened out there on track there was no warning on uh, a crushed car in front no yellow flag no red flag i came across the scene of the crime and and shunted in not in sympathy but almost like an avoidance what can you do and then the car is too badly damaged uh to carry on the weekend we've seen the statement that you you put out and obviously that i imagine that conversation will will continue but it must be disappointing after what happened last time in india to then come here and you know, want to put that behind you and move on and then and then something like this happens? It, look, it's happened now. I can't change it. It's It's been and it's done. The race, we're here after the race. The sole thing keeping me going is the fact that we are very quick. Like, the team is, is delivering a very quick race car and I feel comfortable and quick within the car. I can't control yellow flags and red
1: flags. For I Kuda, I, I would have qualified in the top four and there would have been a red flag and... No, it is what it is. But, um, you know, I'm sorry to the team
4: because we didn't score any points this weekend when, yet again, we were one of the quickest cars out there.
3: Yeah, so Sam Bird not happy at all. Two back-to-back races, no points, no finish. I mean, it didn't even start. Could it be a no finish without even starting? Probably not awful awful luck for sam and i'm sure jaggy will be looking to get back to winning ways as they take on sao paulo in a few weeks time it was an 18 car race because mahindra withdrew from the race beforehand there were safety concerns over the rear suspension it means that actually them and the apt cooper team couldn't participate which makes a lot of sense you've got to put safety first there were questions over whether it's the very bumpy track here in cape town that you know caused this concern kelvin van der linde was the busiest guy the abd cooper a reserve driver who's coming into the car because robin frines is injured and unable to race he was doing interviews i saw him doing photo shoots he was getting photos like with fans. i mean you know the drivers doing their signings there was no one around some of the drivers because they were all around the local guy he's not actually from cape town he's from nearer johannesburg but i mean you know the local driver racing in south africa when he's not really meant to be there because he's just the reserve driver i mean what an amazing story however didn't make the grid how gutting must that have been I wanted to chat to him after the race but actually uh, he ended up in the commentary box for the TV which I think is you know at least he's getting to be involved as much as possible but I did speak to him before the fault ruled him out of his home race and you know what as you can imagine he was
1: absolutely buzzing for it it's amazing I mean um, the last time Formula 1 was in South Africa I wasn't even born yet it was a 93 with uh, with Ayrton Senna and uh, yeah all the icons and you still see a lot of those fo- photos in the in the, at the big circuits, and uh, for me to be here now in Cape Town, it's such an iconic city. Fits perfectly to the, to the likes of New York, London, all the cool places we go to around the world. So um, I'm really stoked about it. Great to have that that you know energy, you know, really supporting us this weekend. So it's amazing.
3: I would imagine you've got a lot of friends and family coming down here. Maybe a little bit of a ticket shortage. People just you know texting you, DMing you for tickets.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of an unpleasant situation sometimes because you can't promise everyone but um, I've tried my best to get as many as possible in and obviously so appreciative of all the support and obviously to have my family there is amazing, they, they started out with me when we were doing karting out the back of our van and you know doing like a family run team and now it's a bit of a milestone with Formula E so it's a proud moment. Is there a
3: conflict with your brother also racing in South Africa this weekend?
1: Yeah, so we actually had to split it up. So my mom is with my brother at that race event. And my dad's coming out to visit me. So um, yeah, we had to do a bit of a compromise, but um, still a prime moment for both. And me and my brother, we check in on each other, see how it's going. Yeah, I'm sure your family are very proud as well. And a lot of our listeners may not realise, but you know, you weren't meant to be racing here. Yeah, to be honest, I mentioned it a couple of times this week. I was here in December. Uh, I have an apartment nearby and uh, just enjoying the newest festivities and so on. Nowhere in my mind that I think I was going to be racing in Cape Town. So actually, my training and everything was scheduled to be ready, you know, end of March, April to be at my fittest before the season starts in Europe. Yeah, now here we are. So I've been thrown a bit in the deep, deep end, trying to just um, keep afloat. But uh, so far it's been, it hasn't been too bad. No, it's not been the the start you would have wanted in the team for app Cooper. Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean we're we're a new team, you know, coming back, let's say as a privateer again this time, no backing from Audi Sport anymore. So we, you know, the natural challenges that come up. With that, when you're competing against the likes of Porsche or Jaguar, um, we know what we're up against, but I think we have different goals at the moment in our development phase. We know that points are probably the, the biggest reward we can get on race weekends, and as a reserve driver, it would be make me extremely proud if I could get the first points with the team. So um, that's my goal that I've set for myself at the moment, and hopefully it's not far away.
3: You know, obviously, now you've had a taste of Formula E a lot sooner than you were probably expecting to. You probably want to stay in that race seat going forward. Obviously, Robin will come back at some point, but hopefully more opportunities for you down the line
1: yeah it's great you know how it is in life Uh, with any job opportunity uh, they look at experience first and now I can kind of put that on my CV so hopefully that um, yeah brings some some opportunities further down the line but I'm absolutely loving my time in Formula E Um, yeah would have loved to be a bit further up up the grid but you have to be realistic at the moment and yeah just try and take my learnings out of it prepare myself as best as possible for the future and as I said, would love to be here full time.
3: Very interesting. So, whatever happens there, Kelvin van der Linde, very keen to get back into a Formula E car. No word yet on when Robin Freins will return. Uh, he's been out since uh, injuring his hand in that first race in Mexico, but Abd Cooper, I'm sure, will make an announcement in due course. There is a month off now, or I mean, basically 23 days, I think it is something like that, until the next race. It continues in Sao Paulo. Uh, another brand new track on this calendar. So, let's take a look at the championship standings after round five. Pascal Ver- who didn't score any points crashing out of this race for Tag Heuer Porsche he's the leader with 80 points uh, Jake Dennis very consistent in those first few races didn't even score points in the last two races still second in the championship on 62 for Avalanche Andretti uh, Jean-Éric Verne race winner in Hyderabad for DS Penske 50 points in third uh, at catch Antonio Felix de Costa with Tag Heuer Porsche after that victory in Cape Town 46 points for the Portuguese driver and then Nick Cassidy who's been fairly consistent and scoring good points in the last couple of rounds for Envision. Uh, he is fifth in the championship on 43 points. Uh, if you want to watch back, you can go on to Channel 4 or Eurosport to see all the highlights from round five of the Formula E championship in Cape Town. And that's also where you can watch the next race in Sao Paulo, Brazil on Saturday, the 25th of March. You're listening to On Track with Formula E. And next up, the Formula One season is coming up very, very soon this weekend. And we'll get the lowdown after testing with the Independents' Kieran Kieran Jackson, you're listening to On Track Talk Sports' new motorsports podcast. I'm John Jackson, uh, joined today by the Independence Formula One correspondent Kieran Jackson. And Kieran, we you know we discussed a little while ago what Aston Martin are doing. We've discussed what the cars look like. Let's get to the chase. The season starts this coming weekend. You've been across testing this whole last few days. Is Max Verstappen just going to win the championship again?
0: Uh, is it too easy to simply say yes? Uh, no, he do looked it. Very, <laughs> he looked very quick throughout testing. Uh, obviously, Red Bull absolutely shone last year with the quickest car and the quickest driver, simple as that. And um, yeah, they definitely were the number one team to come out of testing. Uh, Verstappen was actually the only driver to... you'll be in the car for the whole of the first day which is an interesting approach from Red Bull but uh, he was the quickest he did over 150 laps so on both pure pace and reliability uh, Red Bull looked very good Sergio Perez was the quickest on Saturday when he had a full day of running so yeah Red Bull looking very strong I mean the only thing I would say about it is uh, they were very strong in last year's test too and then they came to Bahrain were right up there and then they had a a double retirement later on so, so you never know what's quite going to happen and it's a long old season a record long season actually 23 races so there's so many changing parts but um, Red Bull looked very strong over Testo. And I think that was
3: probably to be expected as well. I think more eyes were maybe on Mercedes and, you know, first of all, the porpoising and, you know, how quick they look because obviously everyone's loving the car. They're loving the fact they've gone to that sort of sleek black look again. But I mean, what was your impression of Mercedes? Do you think they're going to be the team challenging Red Bull or is it Ferrari? I mean, I mean what's the latest?
0: Uh, it was kind of a testing of two parts for Mercedes. So, I mean, firstly, on Thursday, it was all about whether they had eradicated the porpoising, and Toto Wolff and and I think Russell said it too that yes, we have. We're pretty sure it's it's more or less eradicated, which is which is good to see. But then it came to the second day of testing, and Lewis Hamilton was complaining about uh, the balance of the car in the morning, and then George Russell's session in the afternoon got cut short due to um, a hydraulics failure. So uh, that was pretty a pretty much a day to forget for Mercedes and. Yeah, there was a slight improvement on Saturday in the final day of testing, but uh, I think that the main word coming out of the Mercedes camp is eventually this season. So they're not saying they're necessarily going to be challenging for a race win in Bahrain, which is you know which will be disappointing to some to some people, but uh, they're doing a big upgrades package for race six, which is Imola in mid May, and then I think the consensus in Mercedes that we'll see from that point onwards. Um, we've got after Bahrain, we've got I think. Uh, three, four, five, fourth street circuits, I think in a row. So I think once they get back to Europe and back to, back to traditional racetracks, we'll, we'll see if they can really unlock the potential of, um, of their
3: car. Yeah. And I mean, something that was alarming for me was McLaren not doing as many laps as everyone else. So like the the least amount of laps uh, than any other team. And actually, we're going to talk about McLaren in just a second. But first of all, uh, I just want to hear uh, from their new driver, Oscar Piastri. In fact, let's hear from Lando Norris as well. Uh, they were chatting to Connor Andrews from TalkSport at the McLaren Car Lodge a couple of weeks ago.
4: Lando will, will be a good benchmark. Uh, I think he's established himself as a, as a great driver on the grid. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how I go. Obviously, I've got um, some catching up to do in terms of uh, not racing for a year um, and, and being on the sidelines. So I think there's, there's enough for me to worry about in my own personal development. Um, but obviously, we're in the same car, so there'll be some, some natural comparison there. But um, yeah, I think that's all. I'm never one that um, thinks too much of, um, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm a guy who kind of uh, tries to boost my own ego and, and things like that. I believe I did a good job last year. Uh, I still believe I did a good job the year before. You know, even when I had my my four or five podiums. So, no, I think uh, I think I've been doing well for the last couple of years, and um, have been performing well. I definitely stepped it up a bit more last season with the consistency and probably delivering in a slightly more difficult. Uh, less performing car to drive. Um, I'll just continue to do that. I don't think it matters if last year was much better or, or worse or whatever. If I've arrived, or not arrived, My job is just to do the best I can. And I just let other people think of uh, whatever they want.
3: So Kieran, we heard from Oscar Piastri. They're obviously very, very excited to be doing his first season in F1. I mean, is Lando Norris, and, and let's be honest, McLaren's lap times were, you know, what, nearly a couple of seconds off the best lap times by Red Bull. So they're not looking very strong in testing. And obviously they're going to have a lot of work to do. But do you think Oscar Piastri is going to come in and, and be as good as we're all expecting and challenge Lando Norris? Or do you think, you know, Lando is now the experienced driver. Do you think he's still got a way to go?
0: It's an interesting situation for, for Piastri because I think in a weird way, McLaren's car being a little bit poor at the start of the season might help him in terms of his transition into Formula One because I think he's up against one of the standout drivers on the grid in Lando Norris. He showed his pace in a car which has been underperforming um, or particularly last year. Uh, the only thing that Lando is missing really is, is his first race win. So I think that kind of helps Piastri. It kind of takes the pressure off a little bit if the car is not quite up to scratch. In my opinion, even though he's been the F3 champion, the F2 champion, I think a year out of racing will take some time to acclimatize for Piastri. Um, I think he will be a little bit short of Norris, particularly in the first half of the season. But uh, there's no doubt that Paran have invested in the future. Uh, this This guy is quick, uh, this is a guy who, you know, two very strong Formula One teams, uh, particularly teams you're always fighting in the midfield, you know, fighting over very publicly last summer. So I think Piastri, it's a long-term project, but I think this season is just a case of just you know, betting Piastri and uh, getting him back to racing. I mean looking at some of these lap times here
3: there's got to be a, a sort of surprise team that did particularly well that you maybe weren't expecting. Alfa Romeo pretty quick, Valtteri Bottas doing a 1 minute 30.8. I mean that's pretty good compared to, you know, especially to you know the best time for McLaren which was like one thirty two somewhere thereabouts maybe 132.1 or something like that so Alpha Romeo looking good Haas doing quicker times than McLaren so do you think it's going to be one of the more competitive
0: seasons going forward? Yeah, potentially. I think Alpha. I, look good. So I think uh, Zoguan finished top of the leaderboard on, on Friday I think he was using a, a softer tie than, than the rest of them but I mean that's promising too uh, I think the, the, the clear standout um, from testing w- was Aston Martin uh, they've now signed Fernando Alonso two-time world champion from Alpine and uh, even though they were about Lance Stroll because of, because of his injury Djokovic stepped in performed really well Alonso was very quick both in terms of his lap time and in terms of his long race work, runs he did on Saturday very impressive stuff. And I think, you know, it's kind of overlooked that Alonso wouldn't have made that decision last summer to move from Alpine, you know, a solid midfield team, to Aston Martin, who kind of wastefully underperformed last year if he didn't know what was coming. And, you know, Aston has signed um, some very capable engineers. Uh, they've signed uh, the former Red uh, Red Bull man, Dave Fellows as their technical director. And, you know, this is his car. He's been building up to 2023. So, yeah, I think, you know... Uh, People are talking that Aston are currently ahead of Mercedes potentially and challenging more towards Ferrari, which is astonishing really. So yeah, I think Aston Martin are the clear success story of testing and they're the ones to watch out for. I think they'll be targeting points at every race and and maybe even some podiums too. All right, we've not talked about Ferrari yet. And everyone
3: I've seen talking about Ferrari has been talking about the little sort of dimple soft bit in the front of the car. I mean, you could talk about that if you want. But I mean, how do you think they're going to get on? Because I feel like if they don't make some huge progress, they are going to have maybe one, potentially two teams chasing them down more than them making progress.
0: Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to avoid the dimple in the car. Uh, Not really my area of uh, pure expertise either. No, I I think with Ferrari, they've obviously... Uh, brought in Fred Vasseur, who was formerly at Alfa Romeo as their new team principal. So they, um, Mattia Benotta left in the in the off season, and obviously last year they had a really quick car for the first time in a fair few years, and were really it was a tight, of so challenging car, but uh, they just couldn't really get it right on race day, whether it be some reliability issues or you know more worryingly, really the, the strategic errors they made. So Fred so he's come in. He's, he's kind of he's already changed the strategic department. He's he's changed a few of the personnel there. And I think he's 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 a safe pair of hands. He's worked with Charles Leclerc before at at Alfa Romeo formerly Sauber. So I think there'll be a good relationship there. He's already said he won't uh, designate a number one driver. So I think you know that would that would be music to the ears of definitely Carlos Sainz. But uh, I, I think Ferrari will be Red Bull's closest challengers again. Uh, they had a pretty solid test, not not too too much for you know. We weren't talking about Ferrari really afterwards, which is probably a good thing from their point of view. But um, yeah, I mean, look, they had a one-two in Bahrain last year and started off the season an absolute flyer. Um, so you know, it's a track that they really that they really really like. Um, and they'll be full of hope and optimism going in, going into Sunday, for sure.
3: Right, so, I mean, that race is on Sunday. The race weekend obviously gets underway uh, later this week. So I'm going to, we're going to end things by you giving me a prediction. And it's, you know, you've, you've drawn the short straw here by being on the sort of Formula One season <laughs> preview version of this show. Um, I'm going to give you three, and I think that two are quite easy. So the third one might actually be the one where we look back at the end of the season. Uh, and that is the champion come the end of the season the constructors champion come the end of the season and then the third one is surprise victory so i'm thinking a driver that you think actually could end up winning a race this year that none of us are expecting
0: well okay all right. uh well i think i think yeah for the first two i might have to be a uh, pretty planned and boring and say i mean all the consensus of the moment says that it will be Max Verstappen making it three three in a row, and and Red Bull have got the strongest car. And, you know, Sergio Perez has shown himself to be a more than adequate uh, partner for Max Verstappen. He's won his own races uh, very well in Monaco and Singapore last year. So, you know, he's also got Daniel Ricciardo there this year as a backup driver. So, you know, the pressure's always on at Red Bull. So I think Perez will perform um, from a constructor's point of view, and I think Verstappen. Um, yeah, is, is the clear favourite to win. I mean, I, I hope it'll be a closer, closer race than, than last year and I think it, it could well be. I think Red Bull's dominance last year was, was pretty incredible and I think to follow that up will be tough. But yeah, I think I think it's hard to look past Verstappen at this moment, but it can change very quickly in F1. And then for your final prediction, are people seeing Fernando Alonso winning a race coming? <laughs> I, I would say that would be my, my bold one, I think. Even in a pretty midfield car with, with the Alpine last year, I seem to recall he, he finished second in qualifying in Canada in wet conditions. And he's known to be a master in, um, in wet conditions. So I think if he gets a few of those sort of races and Aston play their strategy right, um, I, think, I think that could happen. I, I, I really do. I think, I think Aston Martin could, could win a race this year. Um, if everything falls into place and then you'd imagine it would be Alonso who would be top of the podium which would be an incredible story at his age to... um... To, uh, to win another Formula One race, it really would be
3: maybe a wet Silverstone. Who knows? British oh, Grand Prix. Yeah. Kieran, thank you very much for joining me. Kieran Jackson, the Formula One correspondent at The Independent, where you can read uh, all of Kieran's excellent work. And you've been listening to On Track here on Talksport 2 with Formula E. Go behind the scenes of the 2022 season on All Four and Discovery Plus with Formula E unplugged. You can watch all six episodes now. And we'll be back next Tuesday to round out the weekend's action as the Formula One season season gets underway.